Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we're sponsored by Mick Napier's brand new book, Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. Now, Mick Napier is the founder of the Annoyance Theater, and he has just released his brand new book, Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. This book talks about the complexities of long form and gives you tips on how to make it more accessible to non-improv audiences. Also, his first book, Improvise, Seen from the Inside Out, was recently re-released with two new chapters. Both books are available for only $15 at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago or online at Amazon at Amazon.com. And if you always wanted to study with me, Jimmy Corain, in my award-winning Artist Low Comedy classes and workshops here in Chicago, well, now is your chance. On January 2nd, I'll be offering my popular two-person scene tune-up one-day workshop at Stage 773 here in Chicago. And for the more advanced improvisers, starting on January 6th, I'll be offering my Artist Low Comedy Level 3, Advanced Ensemble. That will begin at Green Shirt Studios here in Chicago. That class will end with a long-form performance for family and friends. To register, just go to my slick new website at jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. Guess what we got for you? I'm, no, 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 just take a guess. No, no, take, really, take a guess. Think, think for a second. Yes, you've got it. You got it right. We have another great episode of Improv Nerd for you. But when have we had a bad episode? Think back. Really. Take, take a second. You're right. We haven't. And this one is no exception. Our guest today is writer-director Adam McKay. He's directed such comedies as Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and Step Brothers. He was the head writer for Saturday Night Live for several seasons, and he started improvising here in Chicago at the I.O. and then Second City, where he's part of the cast of the groundbreaking main stage review, Pinata Full of Bees, or as we like to say in the know, Pinata. He has just co-wrote and directed a new comedy called The Big Short, which deals with the banking crisis of 2008 and stars Steve Carell, Christian Bale, Ryan Gosling, and Brad Pitt. We talked to Adam about starting out in Chicago improvising, working with Del Close, the UCB, I.O., and the Second City, what he learned being the head writer for Saturday Night Live, and how he uses improvisation when he directs his films. Before we get to the episode with Adam, I just want to say uh, so I have so much gratitude for Adam taking time out of his schedule uh, to, to do this podcast. Uh, he was in Chicago for a very short period of time promoting the movie The Big Short, and uh, he made sure that this happened. And also, I'm really honored because he had a screening here, and uh, I got to moderate a Q&A. And it's funny because he's been always very good to me when he started out here in, in the 90s when I first met him. And uh, he continues to be that way as well. And uh, I was going through some notebooks, uh, my improv nerd notebooks. Well, I'll write down a list of people, uh, you know, my dream guests, my 15 people that I'd like to uh, interview on uh, Improv Nerd. And uh, his name, I I found one of my notebooks, his name was on the list, along with Tina Fey 
Amy Poehler, and Steve Colbert. Those are the names I'm going to share with you now because I, I had to give you something. If, if I'm going to talk about I have a list, you're going to want to hear about some people on the list. And Adam was on the list. So here it is. It's about a half hour. It is, it is so concentrated. It's so full of great stuff. You're going to love it. We covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. Here it is, the Adam McKay episode. Okay, I've known you uh, when you came to Chicago. This was back in the early 90s. That was 1990. Yeah, yeah. You, you, were, you had some stand-up background from Philly, right, as I remember? I was. I was a college student, English major in Philly, and I did stand-up on the weekends. And a friend of mine, uh, Rick Roman. The late Rick Roman. Late Rick Roman has passed away, sadly. He came back and he told me about Chicago, and he told me about Del Close, and he told me about long-form improv, where you just get up on stage and... Whatever you say is, and the only rule is you can't say no. And instantly sold everything I had, dropped out of college, and came to Chicago. And you were like really close to finishing, weren't you? I was. I was like a semester away. It was, it was horrible. My parents were livid. Looking back on it, not cool. Should have just finished and then come out here. But it was a weird, it's, you know, there's only about three or four times before the age of 23 that I knew what I was doing. Every other time, I had no idea what I was doing. But that was one of them. That was one of them where something just went click, like, that's it. Did your parents give you shit for it? Massive amounts of shit, mm -hmm. especially my dad. My dad was just livid. Uh, my mom was perplexed, uh, and right before I left, called me and said, she was remarried at the time, uh, you know, my husband and I have talked, and we've decided that if you'll stay in school and graduate, we will then pay for you to go to law school and we will buy you a new car. Uh, by the way, I grew up broke, but right. she had married a doctor, so mm -hmm. they had a little bit of money. Because I remember when you came to Chicago, you had nothing. You were living with Sharna Halpern, nothing, right? Nothing. And 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 I, there was some story. The first time we met was at some party or something, and there was some story with you returning boots or working some sort of scam or something like that yeah. to get money. Yeah, yeah. We you, used to figure out ways to get like free pizzas or doing things where you would return things for people and there was some friend of ours who wanted these boots and we did some return thing to get them. But we were always, uh, the big one we did was, and it was Matt Walsh and Matt Besser and Horatio Sands, is we would just always go to happy hours and order one orange juice and then eat all their food. That was just how we live, basically. And then we would do crappy telemarketing jobs just once a month to make some money. And then, so you started at I.O. as I remember, with the family. That's correct. You know, yeah. what was that like? Because, I mean, the people that have come out of there is, you know, Miles Straw, Ali Faranaki, and Matt Besser, yourself, Neil Flynn. Yeah. Who am I leaving out? Rachel was dressed. Ian Roberts. Ian Roberts. Uh, Alan Alda. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, and Johnny Bench. Yeah, yeah. Some great people came out of that group. How was Bench? I heard he was not very good with the game. Was it good? No, no, I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, kept wanting to uh, get people's arms loose. Mm -hmm. And we just sit down and be like, let's loosen that arm up. And uh, Sharna would yell at him, stop doing scenes mm -hmm. about people loosening their arms up. And is it true that Aldo was kind of preachy in his scene work? Yeah, Aldo was preachy and he kept going to the Groucho Marx bit, which mm -hmm. was great on MASH, but like you don't need to see it that much. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But he was good. He was good. And then you did a show with Dell. Uh, was it um, Dynamite Funness, where you would do three different forms? 
The first one we did was actually called Three Mad Rituals. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened was we were like kind of, you know this, mm -hmm. and, and you've been on groups that right. at certain times were kind of like the house group for IO. Right. And it's a great thing because you get to perform like three, four nights a week. It's amazing. And you get to fail and succeed and you learn a lot. So we were the house group and then eventually we became Dell's kind of experimental group and he would use us to work on new forms. And so out of that came this idea that we were going to do this full long form show called Three Mad Rituals. And it was three long forms kind of done as one long show. And I'll never forget the first time we did it. I got off stage and it was like, it was like an hour and 45 minutes of straight long form improv. And my head was like an overheated machine gun that like in the trenches that like people need to piss on to like cool it off. Like we all went downstairs and like our minds were just like, <laughs> and like had like a cold beer. And it was like, I had never experienced anything like it in my life. And, uh, and then off of that, we did another show down in my fun nest and probably the greatest period of my time in Chicago was when Dell was using us as his experimental group. It was incredible. What did you learn from him? Cause you got him in a good time. Yes, I did. Although, you know, in fairness, uh, Sharna still, Sharna Halpert still jokes about it to this day. Uh, my group, for some reason, he had to teach the beginners improv group. And uh, I was the only one who made it out of the group. Everyone else, he scared away. Wait, wait, wait. So he taught a Dell, because he usually taught advanced. Exactly. He taught a beginner's improv yes, class? at Papa Milano's. Okay, which was an Italian restaurant, so you were in the basement, right? Right, and that's when I first got to town. Uh-huh. And so there's a group of, you know, whatever, 24 people there. Let's say six of them are from advertising agencies, want to loosen up. Another six were funny in college, want to see what they got. Some serious actors, you know, this kind of mix of people. And it's Dell, so you're just on stage, and everyone's new, so you do something dumb, and you're going to be an idiot, get off the stage. And then each class, there'd be one or two people fewer, and fewer, and fewer, until by the end there were like six of us, and then all the other five quit, and I was the only one who made it out of that class. Were you scared of him? Because I was terrified. Uh, yes and no. You know, I had done stand-up, so I, I faced some pretty vicious audiences in my day. Um, I got a kick out of him. Also, you know, I kept noticing he was right. That's what kind of got me. It's like when someone's a jerk and yelling and they're wrong, forget it. You're out of the room. You leave, right? Mm -hmm. But he was right. And he would say these things, these rules, and he would talk about scenes, and then we would do them, and they would work. And I remember talking to my friends like Rick Roman and Horatio Sanko, and like, holy crap, like, this is interesting. Like, I, I, I didn't know there could be a teacher that made you funnier or sharper. And uh, so, yeah, he was a little scary. You definitely wanted his approval, but we also kind of poked fun at him, too. We used to call him the anti-Santa Claus because he had that beard. Right. And, you know, yeah, it's very funny. I get up on the stage, you know. And I think he basically pretended he didn't know our names for like two years. You think that was just a scam? It had to be. I right. mean, knew the guy for two years. Or, you know, it's possible he didn't give a shit, but if you pressed him, he knew our names. And then at that time, you're also doing you're doing uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. When it wasn't the original four, it was a whole bunch of you guys. And you would do stunts like... Uh, so didn't you fake a suicide one? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Horatio got arrested. Uh, yes. to, uh, what was your favorite one, do you remember? So the original group was Horatio Sands, Ian Roberts, Matt Besser, and myself. We now, was Fulcher in there, too? Uh, Rich Fulcher? Fulcher did a show with us a couple shows later, but that was the original four. Uh -huh. We did a show called Virtual Reality. 
Uh, so for that show, yes, Horatio Sands got arrested during a show. We were creating a fake riot with tiki torches and plastic guns. By the way, wow, would that not be cool now? Yeah. Um, but this was pre-America losing its mind, so it actually was funny. And uh, I came around the car in a car because I was supposed to hit him with my car to kill the revolution. And I, we actually have it on tape. And came around the corner, and they were two police officers were pushing a ratio in a cop car while he was yelling, "Fight the power!" And there's a crowd of a hundred people with tiki torches going, ah! and I'm like. Only in Chicago could you do this. Um, we brought the whole audience one time back to my apartment and just ran them down the street and did a whole murder scene in my first floor apartment. Uh, we did so many things. Uh, we one time pretended uh, a big critic from the Tribune was in the audience. What was his name? Richard Christensen? Richard Christensen, yeah. And we had an actor play him and pulled him up on stage and started reading his review, which was awful. And then we beat the crap out of him and threw him out of the theater. And for like two weeks, people came up to us and said, "Like we heard you beat up Richard Christensen." <laughs> and, uh, what so, is it? What is it about that kind of humor that you really like? Because I mean, as you talk about it, your face lights up. It's like Christmas. It was like it's like magic. It's it's the fact that half the audience sort of believes it. That the fact that it's live, uh, it's funny. Um, you, it, it created this unpredictable sense to our shows because we would also do written sketches. We would also do improv. That was part of the UCB. Um, but the fact that for every show, you just never knew what was going to happen. And also, I think like no one imagined that we would go to those lengths to set up these elaborate pranks. Um, yeah, it was crazy fun. And it's just you're at that age, too, where it's kind of perfect. But I'm 47 now. I'd probably be a little too neurotic to do some of that stuff. Or, or liability issues would be too much in my head. But uh, we were maniacs, and we just did it. No one ever got hurt. But, man, they were some incredible shows. And then you get hired uh, at Second City. Yes. And, and, and really, the show that blows the doors off Second City is Pinata Full of Bees, uh, the main stage show. Sure. Um, I, I, I want to give you a lot of credit for that show. Oh, thank you. Um, it, it was an, an amazing show. W what is one of the fa favorite moments of, of that show? I've always described that as one of the great creative experiences of my life, actually, uh, where it was just this collision of this amazing ensemble, the right circumstance, the right time. God bless Tom Giannis. He directed it. He opened the door wide, and he just said, let's try stuff, and... We were lucky enough to have just brilliant people like Scott Adsit, John Glazier, Rachel Dratz, Jenna Jolowitz, Scott Allman. I mean, it was an amazing, amazing group. And, and Ruby Streak was just completely open musically. So, so anyway, yeah, it was an amazing collaborative experience. It was a ballsy show where we tried a lot of stuff. I think my favorite thing was we did some sketch. I can't remember how we got there. But it was at the time that Blockbuster was editing their movies because they were owned by Reagan yes. Christians. Yeah. And we, in the midst of some big rant, told the audience this was going on and fuck Blockbuster, throw your Blockbuster cards up there. And every night I would just see it rain Blockbuster cards and we'd be running around with scissors cutting them in half. And it was just incredible. It was like this little moment of activism in the midst of a comedy show um, that I'll kind of never forget. I mean, there's a lot of amazing things in that show, but that, that image of those Blockbuster cards raining down was And so here's cool. the And here's the thing that, and we touched on it, we did a Q&A yesterday, but here's the thing that I always admired about you. 
some of my peers, some of your peers, get hired by Second City, and they're like, we want to change Second City. Sure. Okay, because when you got there, the review was stale. I mean, the review format was pretty stale. For the most part. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you, they now, had talented people, but their format was stale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but you, you were able to make a change at Second City. I got lucky, though. I mean, it's always about circumstance. Here's how I got lucky. I was going to quit. I was doing Second City ETC, and I was not having fun. You did not have a good. You did not have a good experience in that I, last show. I did not have a good experience in that show. I worked with a couple cast members who were very tough. The show was a little by, by the numbers. I had a couple funny scenes in this show that I was proud of, and I just thought this isn't for me. I'm doing Upright Citizen Brigade. What am I doing here? Mm -hmm. So I was going to leave. And it really, Tom Giannis, I give him a lot of credit because mm -hmm. he came to me and said, "No, no, don't leave. Let's do it, man. Let's do the show that I know you can do that we all can do." And without him doing that, I don't end up doing it. So I would have been another guy saying, I'm going to change that place who would have just quit. Okay, so, so you don't have to agree with me on this. A lot of, a, a lot of the voice in that show was you. I think I, I certainly was able to get a, a lot of the things I loved in there. I mean, you know, there's a scene between John Glazier and Scott Adsit uh, called, a it's a song called A Tender Scene About Two Friends in Wheelchairs that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, so that cast was really stellar. I think I pushed... Some of the more kind of radical stuff as far as the structure, you know, starting. Which was the Frozen Herald. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, like as far as the callbacks and mm -hmm. the, you could call it a Frozen Herald. Also, the aggressiveness of starting the show in, in gas masks and pointing at the audience yeah. and accusing them of crimes against humanity. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'll take credit for that. Right. But back, back then it was not heavy handed, <laughs> just, just so people know. Would, did you have any. It was common. I it think was got, Tony and Tina's wedding. Sure, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they, I think they used real, um, there was real tear gas. They uh, used real concussion grenades. Yeah, and yeah. then that lady died, so yeah, they had to stop. Yeah, yeah. And, but they added a strobe light and everything. Same effect. <laughs> Were you there the night that they, they said the president died? Yeah, that unfortunately was my idea. Okay, could you tell us about it? Because we've heard it from different people. Well, you got to remember, we're 26, we're 25, we're trying stuff. Right. You know, we're not always on point with our ideas. Sometimes we have brilliant stuff. And Atsit and I started talking about, like, wow, could you ever... What would happen if you announced to a crowd that the president's just been shot and you just did it really seriously? And we're both like, wow, that would be powerful. I go, is there a way to twist that kind of power into a joke? And then we had this idea that we're going to wheel out the TV to look at the coverage and there's going to be a channel on that's NFL bloopers you know like a football player trying to pick up a ball but he keeps kicking it and like we're like wait 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 don't change it I gotta watch this one and then we just end up watching NFL bloopers and laughing and we kind of forgot to come up with an ending for the bits <laughs> so and here's the other thing we underestimated Scott Adsit's a really good actor a phenomenal and a great improviser a great, probably the best great, great improviser but a really good actor so right. He improvises this speech of the president being shot, and he does it way more real than I thought he would ever do it. Like, he actually tears up. The entire theater believes it. I'm backstage going, oh, no, I think we've stepped in it. Fuck it. You know, let's finish the bit. So we wheel out the TV. We do the blooper thing. I can hear, like, 18 people laughing who get it, but everyone else is just baffled and we realize we don't have an ending so we just sit up there laughing at bloopers until slowly the audience just leaves and the next day they got like 20 30 phone calls complaining and uh, we were all kind of like that probably wasn't so cool <laughs> then but but that show gets you hired to write for Saturday Night Live yeah it actually gets me an audition as a performer I am smart enough to realize I don't do impressions I don't do big characters 
I do my audition. What did you do for your audition? I held my own. I had okay. a respectable one. I could do a decent Clinton, because uh -huh. Clinton's not hard. Right. So I did a story of Clinton having an affair with the starting power forward of New York Knicks. Right. How he slipped away from his secret service, was wandering the streets of New York, and met Anthony, um, oh, I can't remember his name, he was this famous power forward. But anyway, ended up they ended up holding each other. It wasn't fully sexual, but they held each other. Both of them felt, you know, like they lost something in their lives from becoming famous and this tender love story. And then I did a character that I did at Second City. It was this guy who kept saying, you got to pay your taxes. You can't fight City Hall. It's the guy who wouldn't sign a petition. He was constantly offering people yoo-hoos and always washing his hands with a dish towel for some reason. Basically made no sense. And then for my celebrity impression, I said, my greatest celebrity is my dad. So I did my dad, and then my dad started trying to take over my audition and go, you don't want him, he's not the funny one, and then like turn into this two-man scene. It's a little abstract. Right. So I got off stage, but I was smart enough, I had my scripts, and I go, I'm a writer, and I handed them to Lauren, and it was the smartest move I ever did. Once again, three or four things I did before the age of... How did you, how did you, have, the, um, how did you have the smarts to do that? I, I don't know. I mean, there are those moments, and I'm sure you've had them too, where you're just like, how did I know what I was doing in that moment? I just knew I'm not a big... I was always more of the writer, director, performer in the shows that I did. I'm not... <clears throat> I don't do impressions unless I hear someone else do it. I can kind of rip it off. I don't have big, large characters. You know, maybe if I'd gone on SNL, maybe I could have done Update or something like that. That might have fit for me, but... I just knew, like, my strength was ideas. That's what I was always good at coming up with. I was good at coming up with the premise. I, I was a good improviser. Right. Uh, which is more like writing in some ways. But um, but I would say your improv is like that. Wouldn't you say it, it's, it's coming up with the premise or the game? 100%. 100%. That's my strength. And it's pretty much you with, with that and just, like, yeah. so smart and so quick. Oh, thank you. But, yeah, you know? yeah I would say that's the, exactly it. And I knew that at that time. I was lucky enough to have been performing just every night for years and years here in Chicago. And I knew if I got hired on that show, I should be a writer. And then maybe I would perform. So I had those sketches. I you know, gave them to them. And sure enough, I and, and then you, yeah. you get into another leadership position there. You become head writer. That was the craziest. Because I did one year as a staff writer. Had a really good year. Got a lot of sketches on. Got to perform a little bit. Um, it was a really fun year. And then the next year, they called me and they go, we want you to be head writer. I'm 27 28 and I'm like my first instinct was like no like I'm having a great time and my manager God bless him Jimmy Miller goes you know if you say no to this they'll never offer you this again and I'm like really he goes yeah I go, you gotta do it I go okay I'll do it and I ended up loving it actually it ended up really becoming uh, frustrating and enjoyable um, uh, you know I was really proud of a lot of the work we did we had a couple really good seasons where we did some smart stuff and, and you know of course Lauren and I had our arguments and uh but it was a great What would experience. you fight with Lauren about? Oh, my God. Uh, it's so funny. It, it, just what sketches he's putting on. Why are you cutting that? Why didn't you go for this one? It's so ballsy. You never look bad doing this. Why are you pushing this character? It's so flimsy. It's just constantly arguing. Why, don't we, why are you having the Backstreet Boys on? You know, please, just for the writers. Tom Waits is touring. Have them on just as a treat for us. And, you know, hey, Lauren, I heard about this new band, The White Stripes. They're really good. Oh, Adam, you and your weird bands. I'm telling you, you should have them on. And, you know, and I was right sometimes. I was wrong other times. Like, I got uh, Tenacious D on with Jack Black, and no one knew who they were at the time. And uh, I told Lauren, you got to hire Jack Black for the cast, and no one knew who he was. And so there were times I knew what I was talking about. There were other times I was wrong. And you know, I was an annoying guy in his 20s. I'm sure Lauren wanted to throttle me half the time. Now we're completely cool relationship. But... 
it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing experience being in charge. It was an amazing experience being told no. It was an amazing experience being ignored. Uh, these are all great lessons as you go who would Who would ignore you? Lauren. Mm -hmm. There were like some nights he was so mad at me that, you know, between the dress and air, he wouldn't invite me in the room. But like, I don't want to deal with Adam tonight. How did you deal with that? Initially, I was hurt. Uh, and then I started just figuring it out. I started kind of figuring the show out. I got a lot smarter about how that show worked. And I started realizing, like, wait a minute, this guy's been doing this show for decades. Most of these people that work here have been doing this show for decades. They're tired. They want to go home on Sunday. They don't want a bunch of guff. They don't want to argue. They're tired. And once I figured that out, I knew how to talk to people. And so then I actually got, I was instrumental in Rachel Dratch getting hired because what I said to him was, I said, look, she can write. She's really funny. She works hard. There's no drama. I'm not saying she's going to be a giant star. All I know is, and I remember saying this, you're going to get home Sunday morning just a little bit quicker. And sure enough, boom, they hired her. But I think that, <laughs> isn't that one of your strengths, figuring out people and figuring out situations? I mean... You know, here's the thing. I wasn't lying to him. Like, what I was no, saying was true. You, yeah, but yeah. you saw the situation. And I think even going back to Pinata, you you were one of the few people that were like, okay, let's bring in the producer. Let's 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 bring Kelly Leonard into the process. Sure. Let's not push him out. Let's not piss him off. Right. Would you agree that that's one of your strengths? Or is you know, that just I in my I, head? I, no, no. No, I think I'm good at collaborating. Mm -hmm. I think I am good at collaborating. I'm good at hearing people, understanding where people are coming from. Sometimes you meet people that you can't collaborate with. It does happen. Right. We've all been yes. there. And yeah. by the way, we should do four other podcasts just about that. Right. Um, yeah, I think I'm good at listening. I think I'm good at listening. Like, I, I finally, after kind of saying my opinion at Saturday Night Live as the head writer and saying, Lauren, it should be this, should be this, should be this, I kind of got quiet. It's like, well, wait, what is going on here? And then started kind of seeing the way the show was operating. I just got a lot smarter about it and, uh, and had a lot more success. Ended up getting to direct short films, got more sketches on, had a much funner time. Like, I started doing these, like, meetings post-show with all the crew, you know, with all the people from the control room. And I would go through and talk to them and, like, tell them good job on this. And this was amazing. And they were all like, we love this. We never do this. And, and got to be kind of friends with everyone, like Ken Amon, the producer for that show for years. I just love that guy. He's like an old school TV guy. And I think in a way just started being a little more grateful and appreciating what was going on and kind of taking it for what it was as opposed to making it what I wanted it to be. Maybe that's the right way to phrase it, mm -hmm. which I think means growing up a little bit. And then, <laughs> but then you, you start this great friendship and business, business partnership with Will Ferrell. Yeah. What is it about you guys that work so well together? I mean, it started uh, in the funniest way. I mean, it really just started. We all thought he was the straight man on the show. He's such uh, an unassuming guy. He's not a guy who's trying to be funny when he meets you. Kector, myself, Giannis, Tim Met, all of us are just doing bits nonstop. I mean, we're just a force of And Colin Quinn and everyone. You're at Saturday Live. Right. We're all trying to make each other laugh. Farrell's just not. He's just really calm, and he's kind of funny sometimes. And then the first read-through, we all have our sketches, and this guy, who just seemed like the blandest guy, uncorks it in a way that you just cannot believe it. And it has, like, five of the funniest sketches I've ever heard in my life, and he's doing characters, and we all just look at each other and go, where the hell did that come from? Meanwhile, Laura, meanwhile, Will was jealous of us doing bits all the time. He wanted to be doing bits with us. He later told me this. 
So he started gravitating towards us and like doing bits with us. Because he's from Groundlings and you guys are all from Second City, I.O. Second City. Chicago. And he felt like he had lost a little something not being from Second City, like that we had heavier improv. And he just loved the bits. So pretty soon he just started coming in our office and he was hanging out with us. And then he would start doing bits. And we'd be like, this guy's really good at bits. And he would play him real deadpan. And then all of a sudden we'd be like, wait a minute, this guy's really good at bits. And... Finally, one day, we wrote a sketch together, and it was just so much fun. Neither one of us had a ton of drama about it. We made each other laugh. We put the sketch up, and it killed. It was uh, Neil Diamond's Storytellers. And it was just a simple premise where Neil Diamond told the stories behind his uh, songs. It was an old VH1 show. He used to have all these people on. Yeah. Yeah, and all the stories behind his benign pop songs were just horrible stories of, like, hit and runs you know, killing transients for kicks and just really dark stories. And the sketch killed. And we just loved doing it. So we kept writing with each other and that was kind of how it began. And then you, you go out to do, you know, Anchorman with him, Talladega Nights, the other guys, stepbrothers. And, and you improvise specifically. You have a specific style of directing with improvisation. You have a, a megaphone, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, early on, I did not. Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and Step Brothers, I did not have a microphone. Okay. I would actually yell it out, where I would run to the side of the camera, which I don't know why I took Not me. good for the pipes. Not good for the pipes. Would you <laughs> leave really hoarse? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Okay. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking that I never thought to grab a microphone. Uh, and then, yeah, I think it was other guys is right. Like, wait a minute, give me a microphone. I'm, I don't have to yell. I can keep it soft. Uh, but yeah, the whole idea is we do the written scene three or four times. Mm -hmm. You you know, we beat up our scripts. We rewrite them over and over and over again. We do a read-through, and we want it to kill at the read-through. And then, then we go and shoot the movie. And even though we have this script that's been great, we go, okay, let's get three or four takes as written, and then now let's play the game that we can get it even better. And so it'll usually be a back and forth with Will having an idea, and then I'll say something to him, or what if you said this line? So it becomes this conversation while we're rolling. Uh, you know, hey, I, I kind of liked what you were doing when you got really mad at that one moment. Expand on that a little bit. And then Dave, if he's going to get mad on there, you're, you love him, so you're going to back off right away. See what happens with that. And then they'll play with it. I go, that's kind of nice, but can you sharpen this line? What if you said something like this? Or... Will is saying back to me, wait, what if I did this and this? And then sometimes we're not even talking back and forth. Sometimes we're just rolling and we're finding it as we're rolling and I'm giving like one word directions. Is so, that your favorite part of directing? That's that, like, so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. And, and you know, we're professionals, but let's face it, the entire goal is I'm trying to make them laugh. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole goal. And then how do you know when you're done I and mean, you have all this stuff, how do you know what's going to make it in the, the edit? So then our editor, this guy Brent White, has this amazing cataloging system for all the improv. And, you know, we usually shoot like a million feet of film on these movies. There's a lot of improv. Although we've gotten smarter through the years. We don't do quite as much when it's obvious we won't use it. But um, he has this cataloging system. And it's like for each scene, there's little subheadings of like the names of the riffs. And he can just click on them and he'll show them to you. And he'll have his assistant editors edit them. So there's these little options. So then as we test the movie... We're constantly flipping stuff in and out and going, wait a minute, try that there. You know what? I actually don't like that beat. Take that other riff we did and put that in there. And so you test the movie like four or five times and you're just always rotating in and out, rotating in and out from all the improv. So now uh, you, the, the Big Short is out. Sure. It's, won all, it's been nominated. I hope it wins the Golden Globes, uh, yes, but it's been yeah, nominated. Yeah. Uh, do, Golden Globes, we know. 
could lead to an Oscar. What do you feel about the possibility of, of being nominated? You know, it's so funny. We, we were talking last night about our shrinks going to see yeah, shrinks. Yeah, yeah. And first thing I said to my shrink when I started seeing him eight years ago, I said, my existential nightmare is to have to give a speech at the Oscars. And he goes, what? I go, I don't know why. It just feels like that's your naked in front of the world moment, you know? And he goes, well, you know, I love you, Adam, but, uh, you know, you make comedies. Don't worry about it. And then sure enough, this year, I was like, there's now actually like a 7% chance this might happen. So I have two feelings about it. Uh, incredibly excited because I love this movie and I really want people to see this movie and the people who did work on it and the cast are amazing. So number one, it's huge excitement. Number two, a little smaller part, a little bit terrified by the whole prospect of it. Um, you get a great performance out of Steve Carell. You get a great performance out of Christian Bale, out of uh, Brad Pitt, out of, uh, who am I forgetting? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, uh, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I best work Anthony deal. Bourdain is done, would you say? I, I see. I always loved uh, Anthony Bourdain and Breaker Moran. Mm. He's so good in that. Mm -hmm. Give him a second look in that. And Mystic Pizza, he's good. Okay, what about Platoon? I know he had a small part. It's a small part, but he's good. Very he's dark, good. Yeah. very dark. He's the general in the bunker when they run it with the explosives, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, well, he's because he looks so different, you, you didn't even recognize right, him. I mean, right. he's very young, a yeah. young Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> um, we we got to get out of here because, you know, ah, but I, I could talk for you with you forever. Maybe there'll be another time, another movie. I would love that. And, uh, and anytime, and certainly about five other subjects we could talk about, too. Yes. And I, I just want to personally thank you because you've been, you, 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 uh, uh, you know, invited me to do the question and answers last night. Total honor. I remember years ago, there was a, you were working with Michael Moore. You had suggested me to Michael Moore. I was not in therapy then, so I didn't know how to follow through. But you've all and gone to shows of mine. You, just very, very supportive, and I just wanted to thank you. That is incredibly nice. You should know, though, that you are one of the more beloved figures in the entire improv comedy acting world. Well, thank you so much. Yes. One question, last question we always ask on this podcast. What piece of advice would you give an improviser starting out today? Uh, do as much as you possibly can. Improvise anywhere. Crappiest stages. Doesn't matter. We used to do the weirdest shows. Get on stage. Get on stage. Make videos with your friends. Work, work. Write, write sketches. Go take acting classes at weird acting schools because you're going to learn something from it. Go watch uh, bizarre avant-garde theater companies. You never know what you're going to pick up. That's what we used to do here. We saw incredible theater. Never assume that all your work is about improv. It's not. It's about uh, straight theater. It's about you know bizarre movies. It's about music you wouldn't listen to. It's about books you read. Uh, make yourself a fully formed person and then work as much as you can. Adam McKay, thank you for being our guest. And there you have it, another episode of Improv Nerd is in the Can. Can you believe it? And what a special episode this was. I want to thank my guest, Adam McKay. And please go out and see his movie, The Big Short. You are going to love it. I saw it and I loved it. Uh, I love that story about Del Close. I never knew that Del ever, I don't think Del ever taught another beginning class after that. I, I do, that was just amazing. And I love any story that involves Lauren Michaels. Uh, it was great. Um, I want to thank uh, my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. Also, uh, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, The Art of Slow Comedy, and to sign up for the Improv Nerd blog, 
just go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Also, we are taking over social media. We're doing this slowly because I'm old and I, I'm just... I have a hard time with social media. Uh, go to our Improv Nerd Facebook page and like us. It really helps with my low self-esteem. And then follow us at Improv underscore Nerd at Twitter. And then please go and check out our YouTube channel. We have clips from the live shows that Dan Schiffmacher has done such a great job. There's graphics. It's, it's just it's shot so well. It's like three-camera shoot. Check that out, and that's an Improv Nerd Podcast on YouTube. We're also lucky enough to be part of a family, and that family is feralaudio.com. It's a podcast collective. It's like my family, but it's a collective. Uh, Check out all the innovative and uh, hilarious podcasts there, Chelsea Peretti, Dan Harmon, Steve Agee, Todd Berry, just to name a few, have a wonderful podcast at feralaudio.com. I want to thank our sponsor today, and that is McNapier's new book, Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. Check that book out. You can get it at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago or online at Amazon, uh, at Amazon.com. And you know what? It's only $15. And especially, I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL, the 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. (laughs) Like he's a television audience demographic? (laughs) Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. (laughs) Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, (laughs) he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. (laughs) Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. (laughs) Oh, my God. 